great to see everybody here this evening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, we are live on Facebook, and so, uh, yeah, and that's very exciting. Is, no, I like that. That's good. I, yeah. I, yep, yep. And so we're here. We are uh, going to be doing the... Uh, Oh, I don't know what week we are, week four or whatever, but we're going to be talking about the assassin who loses his weapon, basically, and some of y'all studied this last week four. Some of us studied, some of y'all studied this, I believe, when uh, the uh, Dawn Patrol went through judges on Wednesday morning with Pastor Todd, so you came across this story, so we look forward to uh, traveling through it ourselves and uh oh week five okay week five i've had multiple different versions so anyway but whatever week we're on we're happy to be here so um let's go to the lord in prayer and then we are going to get into judges chapter 3 verses 12 through 30 gracious god thank you again for your opportunity we have to study your holy word and so we do so with honor and respect we thank you for its authority in our life speak into our lives through just these uh these humorous stories and truths that we find here in jesus name we pray amen okay so what we've been talking about just sort of a uh maybe a throwback to the first week, but when you read the Bible, especially when you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a Hebrew text. Hebrew writers wrote differently than our Western minds think altogether. And so that's really a reason why there are seminaries and seminary professors who are Hebrew professors, and they can really dive into the culture and assumptions, things like that. So we will be reading through, uh, like all the Hebrew texts that we would find in the Old Testament, these are Israelite authors, okay, writing to Israelite people, the Jews, in an Israelite heritage and language and, and Hebrew, and they were also a tribal people, and so they had their own worldview and their own assumptions. Now, you take that text which was not written to a global audience at all. They didn't even understand really what that would have meant. And we find ourselves millennia later trying to read a text with our own assumptions usually and our own worldview and then translate that, interpret it, all that stuff in a whole different language. So it's hard to say, okay, what exactly did they mean? And so... Why we're, I want to talk about that is because the Hebrew writers used humor. They didn't always use humor, but they used humor. Now, God is a serious God, but at the same time, they, they had things, I guarantee you, in the Hebrew text that were funny. That's the reason why they actually lasted throughout the ages, as well as stories told over and over, because they were humorous. They made people laugh. Okay, in their understanding of culture or whatever it might be. So, yes, God said, okay, write this, ultimately write this down. It was inspired to write it down, but it was something that was a part of their lives because sometimes they were humorous stories. So, we have uh, some humorous stories here, and they're not always moral stories. We're not going to learn a whole lot from a how to act morally. Actually, we might be challenged today to ask ourselves, you know, how would we actually 
Is that true in the sense of how we would actually listen to God and follow God's direction in our own life? So Judges 3, chapter 12 through 20. I mean, sorry, chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. And uh, this is the story of Ehud. I guess you say that, Ehud. And um, Eglon, King Eglon. And so the Israelites had entered into the promised land in 1406 to 1399 B.C., okay? And if you go back and you look at Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 through 5, you're going to see them entering into this uh, holy land, the promised land. And then you have the judges arise. Oh, I would you would say about 40 to 50 years later in 1350 BC, okay? And they go all the way until about 1070 BC. And so you have this sort of widespread of all these different judges. It starts with uh, Jephthah, and it, and it kind of comes close to ending with, uh, is that right, Jephthah? No, it ends with Jephthah and Samson, okay? And so in 1052-ish or so. And then King Saul takes over as king. Then King David and King Solomon and so on, okay? So Ehud, uh, he arrives on the scene about 1302 to um, 1204. Is that right? 1302 to 1204. 98 total years, okay? And so 18 of that was oppressed. The Israelites were oppressed and 80 years of peace. So that sort of incorporates his entire story. So that kind of gets us to the background. So we're going to start verse 12, read through verse 14. It says, Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. And the Israelites served Eglon on, of Moab for 18 years. So this is the trend with judges. If you uh, have never studied judges, but the, the Israelites do evil in the sight of the Lord, and then they cry out to God, save us. They're being oppressed. Somebody rules over them, and then the judge rises up and helps free them, and, you know, uh, that type of thing. It's sort of this pattern that they deal with. You can actually look at the book of Judges, and you can see typical human behavior. You know, when it comes to, yeah, everything's going great with the Lord, and then we sometimes we sin and we fall short and we like cry out to God, and then He comes and He, you know, says, Hey, you know, I love you, I'm rescuing you, I forgive you, that type of thing. And so you sort of see this uh, trend, spiritual trend, uh, throughout the books of, book of Judges. So you have this new generation of Israelites who has risen up after the promised land, they've entered the promised land, and They've forgotten God altogether. They have uh, compromised their faith, all sorts of things. And so Eglon is the king of Moab, and he basically rules this area and the, where the Israelites are, and, and he aligns with these two you know, uh, enemies of Israel, and he conquers them. And he takes control of Jericho, makes that his capital. 
And uh, Jericho would have been the first great success, right, of them moving into the promised land. So that was a place they could say was a victory, you know, and now it had become sort of an emblem of defeat for them because the people that oppressed them lived in this city that they had victoriously conquered, you know, as they moved into the promised land. Now, one commentator said that they actually would think that Jericho might even be somewhat desolate at this time. And King, King Egg, uh, whatever his name is, Eglon moved into Jericho because it was sort of empty, because the Israelites ruled over this area, and Joshua curses the city on the way out. So... Some commentators thought, well, maybe because he cursed the city, they didn't really ever occupy it. Some people probably occupied some of it, but they didn't. Uh, anyway, so I thought that was kind of interesting. So when then we hear for um, 18 years, Israel was slaves. They were basically oppressed underneath the rule of King uh, Eglon. So that brings us to verse 15. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so Israelites send Ehud. Doesn't that sound like Ehud? What is that saying? Yeah, it's, anyway, it's weird, but anyway. Uh, Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So Ehud made a double-edged stagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right, right thigh. Keeping it hidden under his clothing, he brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. <laughs> anyway, I, I was telling them at lunch today as we were talking about this, I think if... If you, if the Bible says you're fat, you're fat. I mean, like, because the Bible, like, I mean, it doesn't say a lot of details about things, but that is one that it made sure it said. So, if you're sitting around telling another generation or two from the time of this, this story would be funny. That would be funny. It would elicit a response much like it did for us when we read this because we chuckle at it. So anyway, so God hears the cry of the people. Okay, he raises up another judge. They've seen this trend before, but there's no mention, which is interesting, there's no mention of the Spirit of God falling upon Ehud, really. Okay, I mean, it says God raised one up, but it doesn't say, you know, like he was out in the pasture and all of a sudden God's presence came upon, you know, it doesn't, doesn't say that like some of the other judges had. And so there's no mention of this, even a, a unique calling, like I'm calling you, you know, to go and do this. It's just he raised him up, okay, to fight this enemy. Now, Ehud, what do we know about Ehud? Very interesting, gentlemen. Um, this is a left-handed man, okay, for all you lefties in here, okay? But um, he came from the tribe of Benjamin, which means right, the son of the right hand, right? 
So, and actually in descriptions and different interpretations and things, if you read, you know, your different Bibles or whatever interpretations, they would actually, you, you could come down to the understanding this man was, his right hand was crippled. Okay. It was actually crippled because he, anyway, the way that they point out that he was left-handed, he was from the tribe that was right-handed, and so very odd. Now, there also are legends or stories that there are warriors, there were many warriors in that time, and actually were even mentioned all the way through to when um, David was around that were left-handed warriors. They trained themselves to be left-handed and use a sword because it actually, you know, tricked people, right? Especially if you're battling a left-hander, it's different where they wear their sword, how they grab the sword, how they engage. And so I think that comes into play a little bit later with this King Eglon as well. well. We'll see that here in a minute. But he brings this tribute. It's his turn to do that. Um, there would be a leader among the people that would do that. They would select him. Basically, this was protection money, okay? Protection money for the king not to destroy the people of Israel. They ruled, you know, ruled over the people of Israel and wanted to keep him at bay, so they had to bring this huge tribute every year. And the process of actually bringing the tribute was very humiliating to the people. Uh, especially the people of Israel, of course, but it was it was humiliating because it would basically lead this huge parade. It would be so much stuff, and they would be going, and then and they'd have to present it to the the king, the ruler, not in not really in a real tribute, but a tribute of because you rule over us, and we don't want you to further kill us. You know, here's your money, so money, protection money type thing. Politics so. back then, right? Politics back then too. That's right. So, verse 16, we saw that Ehud had a double-edged dagger about a foot long. And you would think that maybe somebody would notice that, right? <laughs> Although it was strapped to his thigh. I would, didn't say inner thigh or outer thigh or whatever, but maybe if to, how I'm getting it is, you know, probably is not strapped to his outer side because it would be maybe they would say it was strapped to his side okay so it was strapped to his thigh meaning probably inside now to me if you were fighting and you were crippled in your right hand they were probably thinking well first of all he's not a real big threat right second he's reaching with his strong hand in the inner thigh and pulling it out, right? So if you are right-handed, you have your sword over here, right? You have your dagger or your knife, whatever. Sometimes it's harder to grab. You know, I know we do guns. If you do guns or something, it's usually closest to your to your dominant hand. But for the sword or a dagger or something like that, and so deceptively, like any person that deals with a disability, Sometimes the hearing, sight, whatever is enhanced, right? Possibly even strength was enhanced because he was using his left arm for everything if he was handicapped, crippled in some particular way in his right. Um, so he would reach down, grab this dagger. Maybe that's what threw the guards off. They were patting him down. I don't know if they did pat downs back then, but TSA wasn't around. Government was shut down, wasn't running. <laughs> Anyway, but, um, <laughs> but 
but maybe they didn't even suspect or whatever. So he, so I was, I was thinking what, and this is what we're going to deal with. And we're all going to have somewhat different opinions perhaps. And on this, but I wanted to open up, there's some ethical things or moral questions that arise for me. So first of all, the ethical question that I just saw pop up was, did God allow him to be overlooked? The dagger overlooked him to be over. Did God do that? Okay. Right, it was hidden on his leg, so maybe not. Right. So imagine an assassin would have the presence of mind to conceal their weapons so that even with flowing pants on the outside right. or whatever, right. you wouldn't notice that. So did, would God allow the assassin to, you know. See, as he rose the guy up. He raised up, he did, and yeah. He didn't raise him up. Now, did, did God okay. send him there to assassinate him? I tried to find that exactly. Well, we're going to get into those questions here in a minute. Don't don't jump too. Don't get there too fast. You guys are so bright, so bright. Seriously. Okay. So, again, verse seventeen. Uh, this is the comedy act right here. Eglon is a fat man. And again, if you are fat in the Bible, you must be really, really fat. Okay. So. Um, Verse 18 through, well, we'll go through 20. After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet. And he sent them all out of the room. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room. And he, Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, and then we'll get to that next cool part in a little bit. So verse 18 and 19, um, he's going home, turns back. Approaches the king again. He lies and says he has a secret message. Okay, so uh, the king, probably not thinking anything of it, just spent some time with this individual. Don't know how long, but he doesn't feel like he's in any harm's way. And he wants to know the secret. And he sends out his guards or his servants away who might protect him. And so he's there with this crippled man, this handicapped individual, this disabled man in some particular way, perhaps. And so he's not really worried. But my ethical question that comes up here is, can we lie to fulfill God's purposes? Maybe God's message was, Mm-hmm. Maybe. <coughs> I'm going to kill you. God gave you life, but I'm going to kill you. But God so. says it's a sin to lie, so would he instruct mm-hmm. us to sin? I just, I'm just asking that question because it's fun, isn't it, to consider? <laughs> what did you uh, uh, well, thoughts? Yeah, verse 19, it says he reached the stone idols near God. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that he went there and he saw the, the stone idols, idols. it just yeah. enraged him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could read into that too because it's like, I know he went back and he was thinking, well, I'm all alone now, I could do this. He could have 
come up with some way to not travel. I don't know how long that is. I never didn't look at the journey, but he could easily have said, hey, I got something to tell the king after they got out of the palace and he could have went back up. So maybe there was this emotional thing that he was just infuriated a little bit, or maybe God spoke something to him. We don't hear that. We don't get that input in the scripture here at all. So that's why the question for me arose, can we lie to accomplish God's purposes? Because he, yeah, he could have a message, I'm going to kill you or whatever. We don't hear that message. He just says he's got a secret message he wants to give them, right? So, yes. Well, if you look at it this way, mm-hmm. uh, God can forgive you. Mm-hmm. And if you have been giving, if you've been given a purpose mm-hmm. by God, then you certainly can forgive them. Mm-hmm. So, for him to lie intentionally knowing that God had given him that that charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say yes, you probably that's probably true. <coughs> I like that. But but is it a lie? Is it a lie? Don't know when to decide whether it's a lie or not. Maybe it's not a lie. If he's gonna murder somebody, lying's gotta be the least of his I know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Right. Yes. Yeah. Maybe this is a odd question. Would this that beg the question of if you sin in God's name, is it forgivable? Well, that would be a deeper question, maybe. Well, but, right. Well, there's another question. Is it following God's instructions? Is that a sin? Or is he thinking? That's what he's sending there to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. He did have a secret message. It was a little bit misleading with that message. But how do we know that God gave him the message? We don't know that. You're assuming. Y'all are all assu- a lot of people are assuming he got that message from God. That's right. So Right. That's that's what. Yeah, that's what she was getting. Yeah. So actually, that's so great segue. I mean, we have free will, so we don't know. Maybe maybe he got this message from God. Maybe he was infuriated. Whatever. God raised him up. Okay. He had some sort of purpose and calling. Okay. We got that. And so, as a person of free will. In humanity, you can choose to do good or evil. He could choose to do good or evil. You could say holiness or sin, what we we're talking about, right? And so we do know, though, you can choose that. Anybody can choose that, whether they have a purpose of calling, even if it's God's purpose and calling. They can do good, they can do evil, they can sin, they can choose holiness, but God can turn all things right and accomplish His will still whether they are good or bad. It doesn't mean that he wants you to do bad so he can accomplish his will, but you have that choice and God will accomplish his will still whether you do something bad or not most of the time. You know, he's going to figure... So whether um, Ehud, Ehud did this and he was supposed to do this or not, God took it and used it to overthrow the Moabites. Is there also so. a difference between 
God saying, I have something I want you to do, but you have complete free will to do it or not do it. Yeah, God that's saying, the thing. You know, you're going to Nineveh. Right, and right. And, and you can try to get away by just grabbing a big fish swallow right. and take over there. Right, right. You're going to get there no matter what, right? <laughs> So I was thinking about that, and we, uh, Monday night, went to the NAM Endowment Dinner, and uh, some of us in here were there, and had an absolute blast, and it was Bart Millard's story, the I Can Only Imagine uh, Mercy Me writer, and, and we got to meet him, and then, you know, he talked further about his story, and it was just amazing, but I think about that, you know, um, he had, God took all that was bad, in his life and really turned it into something magnificent. Now, his dad abused him when he was littler or whatever and then and turned things around later in his life, but still, all that stuff could hold him back, but he didn't allow it to ultimately hold it back, and God used it to accomplish his will to write a song that's whatever, the greatest selling Christian single ever or something, so... Um, and has helped so many people, right? And so it's really amazing. So think about it. I mean, it's all, I think all that stuff it wraps into it. Like, I mean, we can, we can be forgiven. We, can, we have free choice, things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes maybe we just, God sort of throws you into something and you've got to handle it, you know. Um, mm-hmm, right, right. I'm not condoning murder, but again, if you get back to free will uh, understanding, as we've talked about kind of lately about a parking lot, say it's this room is your free will. You have a purpose to rise up and and defeat your oppressors. That's what uh, Ehud's job was. How he accomplished that, was that within this moral bounds at that time? I would say it was probably within the moral bounds. God's not, maybe not God's way of accomplishing. He can accomplish things in multiple ways, but within the human moral bounds of that time, being a tribal people, it was definitely all, man, you're the king, you can get killed, right? I mean, that was what it was. If you, hmm? Yeah, but they can take you out, and that was kind of just part of the deal. So. Mm hmm. Yeah, they killed them. That's right. So, uh, yes. Ehud, uh-huh. sixteen, verse sixteen. He made this sword. Prior to that, yes, he did. Prior to that, he was the deliverer for God. Mm-hmm. He was one working under God's instruction. Well, he was following God's direction to be a judge, whether we don't know following God's direction to kill somebody or not, but worked out well. But when he left, yeah. he left town, was out somewhere, saw all these yeah. idols, and then turn around and come yeah. back. Yeah. So it had to, to me, he was working under God's direction. Right. But we are Christians, not Jews. So we have to ask the moral question, okay? Like me as a pastor, 
there's a purpose for this church. God has dreams for this place. Can I just lie to you along the way all the time to accomplish that purpose? That would be horrible, right? I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, people think I lie sometimes, right? But I actually am not. But I mean, it's like, that's, that's not, a, and that would, it would accomplish God's purpose probably quicker. I mean, we know people who have been a part of great empires, great churches, things like that, have been based on lies, right? Gone up, you know, and based on abuses and things like that. We have all these churches falling. We have pastors falling, all sorts of things. And I know I'm bringing it back to me in the sense of my my calling, but that's not, so we have to ask that. You know, we have to ask those questions. Whether we know the perfect answer or not, I don't know. To me, the perfect answer would be we have free will to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And along the way, whether we know it's a sin or not, maybe we don't know it's a sin, God does have the ability to forgive us, and God has the ability to take what is bad and utilize it for his will and good. Okay, so. One question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a discussion with a friend the other day about the Ten Commandments, that the original Mm -hmm. version said, thou shalt not murder instead of thou shalt not kill. And I've never Mm -hmm. heard that before because they told me that we were talking about it, and they said because God, during that time period, Mm -hmm. ordered people to rise up and to kill their enemies. Mm -hmm. And he accused that was Mm -hmm. acceptable. Interesting. Is that, is that well, well, I'll look at it. You look at it. That, I'll so look I'm at serious. it. I'm confused because murder and kill to me is the same thing. But I war, agree, but, but it's are exempt. But they're, they're from the battle. Yes, of war. but murder is like premeditated. A lot of times, premeditated. So yes. In, in Hebrew, there's two different words for those. Two. Yeah. So I'd have to look at the. I don't know, original I'm text. I'm just curious. So. I was just like because to me, murder is murder is the same as killing. It's the same thing. Right. It's a different attitude. What if you kill to defend your wife and children? Right, right. That's not murder. It's not premeditated. That's, you have the so, right to defend your heart right. and your family. They're both murder, but one of them is intentional and one of them is mm, yeah, protection. protection. So, yes, uh, the, uh, the setting that we have here, though, mm-hmm. is that uh, Eglon has been an oppressor of the Israelites. That is correct. That's what we're... 18 years. That's why I was going to wrap up. That's exactly Obviously, right. they were paying a tribute. Yep. But they didn't want to pay. Right. So, He's oppressing them. They are slaves. That It's not like they're being treated all loving and kind. He's not... He's not a great guy. No, he's not a great guy. He's a fat, fat, not nice man. So basically, maybe he got what he deserved. Maybe he did get what he deserved. Yeah. So anyway, he might have been bald. We're gonna have to. That's a whole other Bible study. I just think it's interesting to ask those questions, but then again, you have to always come back to the context. You have to come back to who are we as Christians? Who are they as Jews? There's a lot of ethics. It's anytime you get into moral ethics, man, it's some deep stuff. So uh, good stuff. So, okay, so let's go verse uh, 21 and move on because we got to get this. We don't even know if he killed him yet. We're just assuming, right? But anyway, so I totally can picture, before we get into that, totally can picture 
It's like, okay, so he has this crippled individual, perhaps, okay? And he's like, if you and I were right-handed, we'd probably lean in and go, you know, like that, and we're going to stab. Well, he's crippled, and maybe he's leaning in like this, you know, to tell him a secret. Well, he doesn't know he's left-handed. He reaches up, grabs his deal. So he's totally not thinking about it, not looking for that sort of thing. And so you get verse 21. Uh, Ehud uh, reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. After Ehud was gone, the king's servants returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room, so they waited. But when the king didn't come out, after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. When they opened the doors, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sirah. So, very interesting, crazy story. Um, not only is this judge, and he, he does his deal, this crippled man, you know, is probably not as dangerous to this king, and he stabs him, but um, in the belly, his knife doesn't come out because he's so fat. It's very gross. So, uh, it gets stuck in him. So, the assassin loses his weapon. That's the title of... <laughs> The study tonight. The assassin loses his weapon, okay? So then he makes a mess of himself as well, right? So, and um, anyway, verse 23, it's a locked door. He escapes down uh, the patio latrine. It's basically a patio area or something. It's how you put a porch. Your, uh, your, your version might say porch. So... Verse 24, servants return. They think the king's doing his personal business. Um, this is total comedy. I mean, they are totally trying to make their audience laugh. Can't you laugh? Can't you feel it? I mean, seriously, right? I mean, the other time that they talk about people doing their business is when King Saul's in the cave with David yeah, yeah. and all that. So um, one of my favorite verses to preach on for sure. But... Uh, <laughs> So Ehud escapes, and then brings us to verse 27. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ephraim, uh, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, Moab over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. So Ehud, or he goes and he has his call to action, call to war when he gets back to his town, these towns, and basically gets these warriors together and they go out and they basically 
fight. There's probably this mass confusion, perhaps of the loss of their king and gave the Israelites the upper hand and they win the battle. Now, this is the, I don't know about you, God is, could do anything, but that's like only <laughs> like five verses and it sounds like it just took nothing to win that war. I I don't know. It'd take a long time to kill 10,000 people, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, even if you did one for 10, for one per second, I mean, that's still a lot of seconds, right? So, and then all of a sudden you're ruling the land and everybody's great. I mean, it's like that quick. Doubt it happened that quick, but they've summarized it into this, you know, six verses and we get the basically the gist. And then we have 80 years of peace. So that's what a judge does. Supposedly rises up, helps bring peace to the people. Well, I guess that might have been why they had peace. I don't know. Any comments, thoughts, and any? Well, according to these authors, that would have been the reason they had peace for eighty years is because they were obeying God. Yeah, right. Because when they didn't obey God, that's when they, they got Because that's, I mean, I didn't get in the next chapter, but I'm sure the next chapter says the people, you know, <laughs> didn't know God and, yeah, you know, and anyway, they cried the Lord, out or whatever. It says the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Are, are you going to, no matter how many games we are? Right. The Lord did it, that's but right. still, it's very quick. What? Are you going to talk about Shangar? Verse 31. Next time. No. <laughs> nope. It's not as I bet he is. I know by himself. That dude's awesome, man. I want to be that guy. No, we are, uh, we're actually, I'm not trying to get out of here early, but we are kind of just wrapping up. I mean, this is what we wanted to attack. We wanted to uh, assassinate this group of verses, right? So. <laughs> It is humorous. I know, that's the funny thing. I mean, that's gross and funny all at the same time. It's my standard for a movie. Killing, funny, and gross all at the same time. Good. Anyway, so. Yeah, it allowed them to get away, exactly. So, uh, anyway. I'm sure they smelled something, too. That's why they probably... Oh, come on! This is God speaking! Okay. On that, you are blessed. Go in peace. (laughs) Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay, next week... um, Uh, Oh, next week, um, we are going to look at a few things that God never promised. So you're probably going to be theologically challenged with that because it's going to be stuff like, no, God promised that. I swear it's in the Bible and you won't find it in the Bible anywhere. So people read it, created it for the Bible, uh, but it's not in the Bible. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. Okay.